0: the Writers Guild of America sealing its new contract, Google going all out with AI for its latest phone, Sony unveiling a refresh of its video game console, Nintendo preparing to shut down some online services, and an ambitious plan for Meta to boost its VR push. This and a whole lot more, taking over the headlines of the past seven days. I'm Jason Griwa, and this is The Fresh Wire. Hey everyone, I hope you're all doing well and welcome to, that's right, episode 10, numero 10 of the Fresh Wire. Pretty big milestone, I appreciate everyone that has been tuning in every week as I release these episodes Tuesday night, as I have been for, I guess now this is the 10th week that I have. I appreciate everyone that's been tuning in and hope you all have been continuing to do well from the very beginning up until now and into the future. Let's jump in to the news. But before we do, let's uh, recap a little bit of the past few days. Something that I don't think I mentioned, I don't think I've mentioned once, is that I'm a big fan of WWE, a big fan of sports in general. I think every now and then I've mentioned that I have an interest, like maybe I think one time I might have said, uh, go Miami Dolphins. And I I, got to say it in this podcast, the Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, they've been doing phenomenal and it makes me very excited for the team as a whole this season the fact that the buffalo bills were defeated and the dolphins just went all out against the new york giants a lot of football that has happened and uh, wwe i in the past few months i've gotten really into wwe i'm a big fan of ray mysterio and other wrestlers and i watch it like every friday night now the friday night smackdown so there is that i just wanted to catch up a little bit. And, you know, I'm always excited for uh, what the future holds. So I have a topic for Futurology at the end of every single episode that I've made, including this one. And it's going to be a good one. So as I always begin each podcast, each episode, we always jump into what's going on with Hollywood. And the big topic every week, including this one, it seems, has been the Hollywood strikes. It's been halting almost everything to a grind because of how many people are in these unions, the Writers Guild of America and SAG-AFTRA, which is the Screen Actors Guild, American Federation of Television and Radio Artists. That's the official name. They both went on strike when the contracts ended and or expired, sorry. And they had a full push on making sure regulations for AI and a whole lot of other things that I've always said from the beginning that they're pretty much everything that they deserve in my opinion and I mentioned earlier in an earlier episode that the Writers Guild of America finally made a deal with the Hollywood studios and that they were able to return back to work and continue working on whatever they could because the SAG-AFTRA strike is still going. So just earlier today it always seems like something happens tuesday and then something happens wednesday right before i do my podcast and right after but just earlier today it is by the way current time 10 p.m october 10th 2023 all right now we can jump in the writers guild of america the new labor contract for the wga has finally been authorized an overwhelming 99 percent of people that have the membership voted to authorize it with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. How much this will shape the industry as we know it, it's obviously too soon to tell, but it has been officially confirmed. Writers have been able to return to work for over a week by this point, with the return of late-night talk shows um, across local television, ABC, CBS, NBC. So they've all returned. Of course, there's still restrictions due to the sag After strike, but... This new labor contract has been made official, so now everything is set in stone. It's all good to go. Everything about the writer's strike has completely concluded. 8,435 out of 8,525 of the people that casted a ballot voted to authorize the deal. It determines how writers are compensated for the next three years. In a statement, the president of the Writers Guild of America West, Meredith Stiem, Sorry if I said that wrong, S-T-I-E-H-M, point to the union's, quote, solidarity and determination, unquote, as the sources of its strength and stressed the, quote, meaningful gains and protections for writers in every sector of our combined membership. Uh, Also in a statement about the vote, the AMPTP congratulated the WGA, describing writers being able to get back to work as, quote, important progress for our industry. Now, while this strike is over, there's something that has to be very clearly said the actors of Hollywood are still on strike. They have not made a deal between the AMPTP and SAG-AFTRA, which are the actors. So while late-night talk shows can resume, you're probably not going to be seeing much advertising for movies that are coming out, if any are coming out for the rest of the year. It seems like multiple movies, especially Dune, part two, which I was very excited for, got delayed, so, I don't even know what they're even advertising. I barely see movie trailers on TV anymore. I mean, they're still on strike. So, while the WGA ratified a new three-year deal, Sega after remains on strike as negotiations continue. So, just putting it out there, one of the strikes is gone. It's over, concluded. The other one is still going. Uh, due to the fact that the WGA was able to make a deal, I'm going to assume, hopefully with optimism, a rare thing for me, that this strike ends soon with it being benefiting the actors uh, at least as close as possible to what they want, what they deserve, what I think they deserve. And yeah, hopefully one day I don't have to talk about a strike. seems like there's a strike everywhere. There was a healthcare strike at one point. I think there's currently an auto union, uh, auto workers strike. There's a Hollywood actor strike. A lot of strikes. A lot of union strikes, and I hope they all end well for the people that are actually on strike. That's my, I guess, hot take. Uh, What's also a hot take is, uh, my opinion being that I'm surprised that this is already announced as soon, an adaptation, a live-action adaptation of hit video game, Cyberpunk 2077 by CD Projekt Red, has been announced. Cyberpunk 2077, a big... Big game that was extremely hyped over. It had the fantastic Keanu Reeves as one of the main characters. Rules, roles, and when it released, completely filled with controversy. If you were playing it on a good machine like a new console or or a computer, it had bugs everywhere. If you played it on an older console, it had crazy glitches with uh, visual visual bugs that were mainly because of how slow. The consoles were with a game as ambitious as this. And it. after a few years, it kind of had a, what's called a No Man's Sky turnaround. Uh, no Man's Sky being another game uh, released years ago that had uh, a lot of controversy and bugs and missing features that were promised. And then over the span of several years, they all were put in. It originally didn't have multiplayer, and it had multiplayer. It originally didn't have a lot of the functionality that it has now and it's overall a very beloved game Uh, same looks like it's going to be said for cyberpunk 2077 i heard all the fixes patches and the dlc have costed them about 120 million dollars wow uh but it's all been a pretty big success and it's looking like a movie based on the game is on the way according to a press release on the developer's website cd project red the creative team behind the game Uh, We'll partner with Anonymous Content, which is a media company known for the TV series Mr. Robot, uh, very beloved, and True Detective, along with the film The Revenant and many other productions. Okay, so very high expectations. Revenant was fantastic. I've heard good things about True Detective, and Mr. Robot has won plenty of awards to prove its worth. It didn't specify whether this production would be a TV series or a movie, nor did it specify when it would come out or on what platforms. A lot of very important details. Now, this isn't the first time Cyberpunk 2077 has reached the visual watching spectrum. Uh, Netflix released an anime tw- last year called Cyberpunk Runners, which got uh, critical acclaim across the board and was immediately beloved. So, I mean, recent years... Video game live action adaptation adaptations have been actually a pretty big success. You have Cyberpunk Edge Runners, you have The Last of Us show on uh, Max, as it's now called, The Witcher on Netflix, and you know recently The Grand Turismo on uh, in the movie theaters, which I don't think many people saw. I I have not heard. I heard the films all right, but I don't think it did well financially. I complete assumption though. I think I've I think it's already available to uh, buy or rent digitally so not a great sign it was in theaters like two months ago. Um, but yeah so kind of a short uh, pretty short Hollywood entertainment section I understand that but there is a whole lot of tech stuff that has happened whether it's in video games or just general technology and I have to get right into all of it because it is insane. So I'll start off with uh, the crazy stuff that Google has been working on that they're finally announcing after months of genuine leaks, I think unboxings, the Google Pixel 8 has officially been confirmed. And it's looking like a pretty big deal because of one big key term, two words, you know what you love it, maybe you hate it, artificial intelligence, AI. And Google's going all out. We already know from their attempt on creating an alternative to ChatGPT or Microsoft's Bing Chat AI, uh, Google barred. It had some ups and downs early on, but they're continuing to work on it, building off of their excellence and all of the search engine data that they have and the Google Assistant capability. It's all coming together eventually. It doesn't look like there's full integration for Google Bard with their new Pixel 8. Better cameras, nicer display, can get much brighter. It says here that for HDR content, it can reach 2,400 nits in sunlight mode. And 1,600, uh, i sorry, ah, my mistake. 1,600 nits for HDR content and 2,400 in sunlight mode, so in direct sunlight. Beating uh, Samsung's most comparable flagship phone, the Galaxy S23 Ultra and, uh, Apple's recently announced iPhone 15 Pro Max, which can hit 2,000. So, pretty interesting stuff. And I'm pretty excited. I mean, I don't anticipate myself upgrading to this phone, but I love how it looks in blue. I'm not gonna lie. It also has a temperature sensor, something that I think caught a lot of people off guard. Maybe in leaks, there were a lot of questioning on what could that be, and now it's finally confirmed. Uh, In the camera bump, a temperature sensor, Uh, Google has said this feature, quote, will allow users to quickly and easily take the temperature of objects simply by scanning, unquote. Uh, Pending FDA approval, as the temperature sensor is regulated as a medical device, a, quote, thermometer app for body temperature will feed the data into Google's Fitbit app for some kind of wellness tracking. Very interesting stuff. You don't normally think of, uh, what what do I want to add into a smartphone? Hmm, how about the capability of folding? How about some incredible... Uh, maybe 2-in-1 laptop capabilities like Samsung DeX. No, how about a temperature sensor? I know that in a uh, while while ago, uh, reminds me of like the Galaxy S5, they had sensors that were built into the flash that allowed you to check your heart rate using just your finger or thumb, and that was pretty weird. <laughs> that was some interesting stuff that did not catch on with the rise of smartwatches, as I own one now and have owned for a while. So that didn't catch on, but body temperature, I think that's something modern smartwatches can read as well, but I guess they're trying to be going, uh, getting out there. And it's a Pixel 8 Pro exclusive. It won't be on their normal flagship phone. I guess they're both flagship phones. I mean, they're their main phones. Google has a cheaper model. I think it's the Pixel 7a which is based off of their last year model, but cheaper, a little more refined, and meant to be a great value option without it feeling like it's great value from Walmart. So it looks, from what I've seen, looks pretty good. It has a tiny bit of a chin on the bottom, so it doesn't feel as regal as maybe the iPhone 15 Pro does, but it starts at a lower price. I mean, $700, for the Pixel 8, a thousand for the 8 Pro. For context, that does mean they're both a hundred more dollars than where the Pixel 7 and Pixel 7 Pro started last year. Now, Google also does some pretty decent sales from time to time, and people that pre-order the phone before it releases actually get some pretty cool stuff. If you pre-order the 8, you get the free, uh, you get Pixel Buds Pro free, and if you pre-order the 8 Pro, you get the whole brand new, also announced, Pixel Watch 2, which has a new Snapdragon processor. Snapdragon being the processor that powers a significant amount of smartphones that are released in the US and in other countries. Uh, Speaking of the Pixel Watch 2, it is sort of an upgrade in terms of it being more efficient. It has a new system on a chip. Very similar design to their original Pixel Watch that they also released last year. And it seems like it now has a skin temperature sensor. Its sensors have been upgraded. They say the heart rate has been improved and that it has a new charging mechanism. still only one size for its display, but when it's something dark, like a black background, it does look pretty regal. I have the Samsung Galaxy Watch 4 that I got uh, with my phone that i used to have back in 2021 and it has been absolutely fantastic Smartwatches really are something else uh they they can they can change you for better hopefully um now from what i've read the watch is not repairable however google from what i've read says that uh this is one of the biggest things about the google pixel 8 and 8 pro that they're promising google is promising seven years of operating system updates. So not just security fixes that other manufacturers like Samsung have promised close to. I think Samsung is like four four years of OS updates and five years of security updates. Google's going right to seven with operating system. So that's like going from iOS 10 to like 16 on one phone, which I think iPhones have gotten close to in terms of how long they last. I think the iPhone 6 iPhone 6, I think, or 5S got like several years of support, although mainly it was security fixes due to its aging hardware and totally not planned obsolescence, wink, wink. Um, but that also means they've, they've said that they're going to provide seven years of spare parts for the Google Pixel 8 so that when it's six years from now and you're still getting updates but you want it fixed... Google will make sure that parts will still be available. Something that can't exactly be said with the Pixel Watch 2. The Pixel Watch made headlines recently when it was revealed that despite Google's talks of, quote, sustainability, and its big partnership with iFixit, which are known to provide guides, how-to guides, and even spare parts on sort of all these uh, different machines, technology that may not have gotten the support that they deserved back when they were relevant. You know, a bunch of stuff you can fix, replacing batteries where you're normally not supposed to. And then they rank repairability on the more mainstream devices. Well the Pixel Watch one, even with this big partnership is not repairable. Uh, last month, Google admitted, quote, "We don't have any repair option unquote for the Pixel watch one, which means that which also includes that there are no parts for sale unlike the Pixel 8 will be, and you can't even pay Google to fix your existing units which is very, very not good. That is not something I support at all. Uh, A reporter from Ars Technica asked Google if any of this was changing for the Pixel Watch 2 and was told the following, quote, Pixel Watch 2 would be in the same vein as Pixel Watch 1 with regard to repairability, unquote. And if it's confirmed, Pixel Watch 1 ain't repairable, this ain't repairable. So, with regard to repairability, none. Pixel 8 and the Pixel Watch 2 um, will begin shipping October 12th. Uh, Last little bit of big news for Android and Google users. Android 14, along with the release of the Pixel phones, Pixel 8, Android 14 is now available if you own... The Pixel 4a, 5, 6, 7, the Pixel tablet, or last year's recently announced, or uh, sorry, released I think, uh, sorry, not last year, a few months ago, the Pixel Fold, you're getting Android 14. The biggest feature being a more customizable home screen, different lock screen, uh, clock styles, you can customize the app shortcuts, sounds like stuff my Galaxy phone can already do. Um... And also a new wallpaper picker that Android with the Pixel 8 has a new built-in text-to-image AI wallpaper maker, presumably a feature that lets the Android team adhere to Google's quote, mandatory AI, unquote, company mandate. That's interesting. So redesigned battery charging indicator uh, and phone as PC webcam features, which is pretty good. Uh three and a half years too late to the covid pandemic, but it I guess it was inevitable and uh yeah, that seems like a actually not really a big release for Android, but if it's focused on stability, then that's you know that's all that marshall Mathers so that's the tech for Google's pixel. There's plenty more to talk about. I'm just gonna jump into a little bit of a i mishaps. you know what you love it. Probably uh, Facebook uh, in the past few days, uh, they unveiled AI generated stickers in its Facebook messaging app that <laughs> it has garnered some attention to say the least. You know, with AI, you don't really want to interfere with copyright protected symbols or characters or you don't want to get into some extreme controversy that looks like things that shouldn't be. Existing And this article in Ars Technica has shown some pretty <laughs> uh, eye-opening examples. Uh, for example, Elmo with a knife. Mickey Mouse, you know, the sweet, lovable Disney character, uh, holding a gun. Uh, <laughs> Donald Trump crying. And Waluigi and Luigi, the famous Super Mario characters, holding a gun as well. Also Mickey Mouse on a toilet. And... Because of how impressive AI is, they don't even look that bad. Like, this one that I'm looking at has Mickey Mouse sitting on a toilet. I would love to know the prompts for these. I personally tried out some of these features, uh, trying to create some controversial stickers, and it says that they go against their uh, content guidelines. So, hey, I tried. These are just some impressive workarounds, I guess. So, oh, man. Uh... By the way, this feature that allows you to create AI stickers is in Facebook's some of Facebook's messaging platforms including Instagram and Messenger. I don't think it's in WhatsApp at this point. WhatsApp seems to be pretty split from uh, Meta in a lot of aspects unlike Instagram and Messenger where they're directly integrated to a massive social media platform. So, one example showing Mickey Mouse rifle. You type in you type in a prompt that you want turned into a sticker and it just creates them for you. It can create a few, it can create a few more. And I'm looking at prompts. Mickey Mouse rifle was what led to the gun. Maybe if you do gun, it won't work. Mickey Mouse knife looks pretty impressive. Uh, Toilet. And then I guess a a very controversial one. Someone put in child soldier. And uh, I'll just say it worked. It, It definitely worked. And one funny thing is that when you put these in, at least in Instagram, I've tried this, you put in a sticker and it's going to show you the prompt. It won't just be random uh without you know it's just gonna be a sticker that looks like it was custom made no it's going to show you the prompt so if you put elmo knife and it's if you do elmo knife it'll be it'll show elmo knife if you do (laughs) uh sonic i i I don't know if i can even say this uh because i don't want to like have any sort of explicit word get put through but i guess i'll take a risk sonic bosom um Works. I guess I'll just say that. A very weird, very very interesting terms that you could put in that has been able to work. I'm certain at this point Meta has been looking into fixing these. Uh, I, I don't want to test it out myself. I don't want to get on a watch list. But uh, with the possibility of getting my social media accounts banned, that would not be fun. I don't, I don't think so. Um, I, don't, I plan to stay on these a little longer. So, very interesting stuff. That's very weird, and I'm... Uh, uh, I, I hope it got resolved because those are just strange. But if not, then, well, if people take advantage of it, that's all right. It ain't my platform. And what's also not my platform is Twitter slash X. Um, something controversial that Elon Musk said. Wow, that sounds like something that happens almost every day. Uh, genuinely, there's a lot of stuff I have to keep out because I think mentioning some things that he does would actually make this a, an, an explicit podcast. So I have to very be very cautious Uh, He has now stripped headlines out of news links. Quote, it's something Elon wants, unquote. So now if you link an article and on the Musk-led platform, uh, now it's going to display the images and the main image from an article without its headline. So one comparison I'm looking at is that if you used to link it before, it would show an image and then the headline with the uh, website's link built in. It was pretty comfortable and it made you well aware of what you're looking at. Now it's image dedicated. You'll have a link, the website's the website link URL without any added stuff to it. So for example, arstechnico.com. That's gonna be in the bottom left and that's just gonna be the headline. Uh, not the headline, the opposite, it's just gonna be the image. So, not great. Definitely a controversial change, as many of the changes have been. And, I mean, I could talk about this all day. It would become the Twitter slash X hate podcast. I mean, I I try not to hate it. It's very essential, even now. And Threads has not been as successful as many hoped for. (laughs) Well, I mean, did we hope for a meta platform to succeed? I have no idea. I was hoping for a proper alternative to Twitter slash X that had millions and millions and millions of people onto it, hundreds of millions preferably. Mastodon and Blue Sky are great, genuinely, but not everyone's on them, and Threads was an attempt that so far has not succeeded entirely. So, yeah, another controversy with uh, Elon Musk. Starting to be as common as uh, talking about the Hollywood strikes. Um... And I don't, unlike the Hollywood strike that I hope ends well for the actors, I don't anticipate this ending anytime soon, let alone well. And well, 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 Samsung had a recent press conference of their own. I'm not sure if it's a directly combat Google. They usually have one around this time for that I think is more dedicated to their developers. And a sly announcement that went under the radar as they announced a new budget model of their flagship smartphone and flagship tablet they've now announced a new Bluetooth tracker. So Samsung has had what's called the Galaxy Smart Tag, and, well, now they have the Smart Tag too. And uh, I'm going to preface the following. You can only get the full features out of this if you have a, at least recent, Samsung Galaxy smartphone with a Samsung account because of its more uh, deeper integration with Samsung's tracking uh, platform, which smart things find it's not find my by apple it's not google's either even though they are planning to launch a full-on android wide tracker ecosystem in the near future last i heard it was apple that was lagging behind and google did not want to go all in without apple having some sort of integration uh day one from what i remember reading but the smart tag 2 is pretty impressive Using a removable CR2032 battery, like a watch battery, it can last for 500 days in quote normal mode, but a new power-saving mode will allow it to last 700 days. It's not known. Samsung did not expand on what this mode does. And it is water and dust resistant. And it also has ultra-wideband support, allowing for a compass-like finding mode. The ultra-wideband, however, is only supported on Samsung phones. I know modern iPhones and even some Android phones, besides Samsung's, have this technology but this is a galaxy exclusive unfortunately it also has a improved design in my opinion that uh that you can have uh, you can attach the smart tag to something using a clip or a key ring and yeah it looks like it can be more properly connected to like maybe your pair of keys or something pretty cool stuff i do plan to buy one i have smart tag plus models personally and they've been overall fantastic, but their battery performance has been a little lackluster, so I'm glad they'll now be able to last seven hundred days. Apparently that's more than the air tag by Apple. Cool stuff. Really cool stuff. And uh what's not cool is what's going on with Disney's Loki. I've yet to see the first episode. I do plan to as soon as well. Just been very busy personally. But Loki, which I watched season one of and loved almost every minute of well, season two launched, uh, premiered last week, the first episode, but a poster involving it has received some pretty harsh backlash. And for good reason. The background of the poster, which has Loki and characters surrounding his head, it, it, it's a typical Loki, a typical movie, really movie theater poster, but it's for a Disney Plus show. Well, the background of it looked a little off-putting, And it was only recently discovered that it had visual errors that seemed akin to generative AI. Now, if you ask Microsoft's Bing AI to create an image for you, it will use what's called the DALI 3 uh, image generator. And it has been genuinely incredible and very impressive almost every time I use it. For personal use, of course. And it looks like Disney decided, let's use it as well. Um... It's been linked to a stock image on Shutterstock that seemingly breaks the platform's licensing rules regarding AI-generated content. So several users on Twitter slash X noted that the background on the Loki artwork appears to have been pulled from a stock image on Shutterstock called, uh, titled, quote, Surreal Infinity Time Spiral Space Antique. And someone ran an actual, uh, an AI image checker. Three out of four of the ones he ran it through said that the image was generated by AI, and you can kind of tell. Um, Shutterstock does not label it as AI-generated, but because of the visual errors, it's pretty clear that it has been. And it's, uh, yeah, pretty, pretty clear, you know, the AI. You know, it, if you're going to use AI, you know, you should say it up front, that you're going to be using AI because of how incredible it is but also how dangerous it can be and how it's taking content from other you know from places that didn't anticipate ai to be so big a year ago it really was a year ago that we were using dali like 1.0 or whatever it was and it just looked like a mishmash of like random stuff that was like oh this is actually pretty interesting but it's still got a long ways to go one year later there are absolutely images that i can't believe can even be created They still look a little weird here and there, but they seriously look impressive. And it's scary. It's actually scary. Um, What's also scary is uh, online support for beloved games and platforms and how they can go in a six-month notice. Or worse. Nintendo has announced that the online servers for their Nintendo Wii U and 3DS platforms will be shutting down in six months. Now... This has nothing to do with the Nintendo Switch. If you're an active, avid Nintendo Switch fan, uh, keep doing what you're doing, the whole world is proud of you. Uh, but if you're still in the 3DS and Wii U, I mean, a few months ago, I think, the eShop platform, the online stores for them, were shut down, and now it's the online network's turn to go bye-bye. Nintendo announced that Quote, online play and other functionality that uses online communication, unquote, on these consoles will stop working in early April 2024, which would be just over a year after Nintendo shut off being able to purchase games from NDLC from uh, the platforms. Now, brief thing, I think you can still receive updates for the games that you play. So, for example, Mario Kart 8, uh, well, I guess that too, but Mario Kart 7, you don't know, had updates released for it an early 3DS title, updates released for it, and you needed them to go online. It'd be pretty stupid if you couldn't get patches because they were through the eShop. And then suddenly that game is no longer functional online. Well, I mean, after April next year, that will be true, but that's besides the point. In a brief FAQ, Nintendo clarified players will still be able to redownload purchase software and download game update data, quote, for the foreseeable future. I think you can with the Wii. There weren't updates Besides, I think, Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword, but that was a whole Wii channel. But I think you can still re-download software you purchased on the Wii, and that shut down a very long time ago. I think when I was in high school. Yeesh. Uh And that players will also still be able to transfer Pokemon off a 3DS using the Pokemon Bank system after the planned shutdown. So while almost all online services will be shut down, Miiverse shut down a long time ago, and this will be it. This will be the final straw. I think this also means Spot Pass shut down uh the street pass system that was absolutely beloved for the 3DS will continue to work because it never needed a central server like spot pass i don't even know if spot pass is so yeah it's uh not great now this isn't the first time nintendo did something crazy involving its older titles uh not too long ago actually earlier this year in march splatoon and mario kart A, two of the most beloved online multiplayer focused scams on the Wii U, were taken offline for quote extended maintenance to fix a security exploit. Uh, it was it became known, and then Nintendo went right to work on patching a lot of 3DS and especially Switch titles, and I think some Wii U ones. But I guess Mario Kart and Splatoon they just couldn't figure it out fast enough, and it also has very dwindling, aging, small, uh, fan bases and player bases at this point because Mario Kart Deluxe, highly beloved, better in just about every way. Splatoon 2 and now Splatoon 3 on the Switch. So the player bases for these, especially because they also had Miiverse integration that's now gone. Uh, the games remained offline from March to early August, with I think a note that if something like this were to happen again, Nintendo would just shut them off, never turn them back on. Uh, so that's great. <laughs> now, Pretendo is an active open source project that has already replicated some of the soon-to-be-defunct server functionality Nintendo plans to abandon. I think from what I read, from what some have said, when Mario Kart 8 and Splatoon shut down, people were able to access Pretendo's still-in-development servers for those games uh, because I think right now they're locked behind a Patreon, I think. So hopefully that changes by April, or maybe even sooner, because this note is pretty scary. Please note that if an event occurs that would make it difficult to continue online services for Nintendo 3D- 3DS and Wii U surf- software, we may, have to con- dis- we may have to discontinue services earlier than planned. So while they say early April, it could be even worse. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, sucks. Even while when the 3DS and Wii U shut down their online, the Microsoft Xbox 360 will continue to have a functioning online store. There's a shutting down, I think, July, but that's the online store. And you can still purchase 360 games that are compatible on the Xbox One and later. And as far as I know, you'll have access to them in 360. After like maybe like a reboot or whatever. Games you purchase on the one that are supported on the 360 should also still be playable. So <laughs> It's funny. It's just funny uh, that a console that released in 2012 will be losing its online service before a console from 2005 loses its online store. Just hilarious stuff. Now, Microsoft, Nintendo, mentioned those a bit. How about Sony? What have been Sony? What has Sony been up to? And uh, luckily, I did this podcast today, Tuesday, because earlier today, Sony, after uh, quite a bit of leaks with a refresh for the PlayStation 5, and after a big leak of Microsoft with what they're working on with the refreshed Xbox Series X, a rounded one, no disk drive, more storage, same, quote, great price. I think that's what it said, great price. It was some, some catchy thing. Well, they just announced the refresh PlayStation 5 with a removable disk drive launching next month. And there has been some controversy as well. So the new PS5 that's launching is uh, lighter, a little smaller as a more interesting look, as if the PlayStation 5 already wasn't an interesting look. I love the look. I have a PlayStation 5. It's, But it has a big change. If you bought the digital edition of the PlayStation 5 before this, it was a digital edition PS5 forever. There was no way to change it. If you wanted the disk drive, you had to know up front and pay $100 more. The digital edition was $400, PS5 500 US dollars. That is changing in both ways. The PlayStation Five with disc drive will continue to be available for five hundred dollars, and with all the stylish improvements that bring upon it, subjective improvements. While the PlayStation Five Digital Edition will now have an optional ability where you can later purchase a external a disc drive that you can purchase for the digital edition now, so you can make it into a normal one later down the uh, later down the road it'll be sold for 80 bucks. But that's interesting, the PS5 Digital Edition being 400. I'll just buy the disk drive for 80. Oh, the PlayStation 5 Digital Edition now starts at $449.99. So a whopping $50 jump, bringing it further away from Microsoft's competing Xbox Series S. And now, It's back to not making sense. If you just want a PlayStation 5 with a disk drive, just get that. But now with the digital edition, if years from now you have a bunch of digital games, but you want to get into those, you know, the used game market, maybe, you know, PlayStation 6 is out, but you want to, like, jump back into it, pay 80 bucks, and you got a disk drive that you can just swap right in. One other thing that's also gone is the stand. It will have a horizontal stand, but one thing about the original PS5 was that it could also be used vertically for people that, you know, use their consoles vertically, or had them vertically, that was an option. Now, it will exclusively come with a horizontal stand, and if you want a vertical one, it will cost $30. Now, one benefit is that it comes with more storage. The original PS5 had 825 gigabytes of storage. Normally, uh, 1 terabyte would be a little over a 1,000 gigabytes, but formatted so that, you know, usually it's formatted and Ways that has like system files and whatnot. So now instead of that whole weird kablooey where it really had somewhere in the 600s of gigabytes, much less than the Xbox Series X, now it has one terabyte, so it will probably be closer to the 825 that PlayStation, Sony originally announced. So there's that. It's gonna start, it's gonna be released in November at select retailers. And according to a statement on the blog post, once inventory of the current PS5 model has sold out, the new PS5 will become the only model available. So it looks like for a time, there will probably be both available, and you're absolutely going to see people, maybe even Black Friday, go for a new... go for the old digital edition PS5, knowing that maybe if they're going to stick with digital forever, you know, they could save 50 bucks over the new model that's going to come around. I don't think they explain at all why it costs more. I mean... A, Good excuse. It's probably inflation, the economy, even though that's affecting worldwide, and the uh, rising production costs or shortages that have ceased in some areas that were really bad when the PS5 came out. So now they just cost more. So now the Xbox Series S, which is starting to be found for around two hundred fifty dollars, just got less competition, uh, and this is all on the wheels of Nintendo still releasing their three hundred dollar. Switch normal model, $350 Switch OLED model uh, with very, very, very rare sales, uh, but with massive rumors that Nintendo Switch 2 could be on the way as soon as the second half of 2024. I'm excited for that. I'm not excited for this. I will gladly stick with my PlayStation 5. It's probably going to be also a little more power efficient, this new model. They usually are. And I mean, and it also looks all right. Doesn't look any worse. Oh, I guess one other thing is that the ports on the front did change a little bit. I don't think they show the back, but on the front, the normal PlayStation 5 had a USB Type A port and a USB Type C port. Type C is a newer USB port, Type A is the one we've had for well over, I guess, 20 years now. Geez. Well, now they're both USB Type C ports, which is good. That's, you know, a newer standard that supports everything the old port had. And, you know, that's good. That's like one of the few good changes. Still, though, I don't see why the digital edition has to cost 50 more dollars. But the normal one's still 500. But now this is, I think, the most expensive a base PlayStation has been since the PlayStation 3. The PS4 started at $400 and never got higher than that, I think, except for special editions or ones with more storage. Like, when the PS4 Pro released back in 2016, that was $400. The slim model that was all, that was introduced right around then was a lower price. Now this is, hey, here's uh, the same exact thing, but a little more efficient, but costing more if you want the digital one. That's very rare, and I worry that that will become the new norm. I genuinely don't want that to happen. Sticking with games, Activision Blizzard. The whole... Acquiring deal between Activision, Blizzard, King, Candy Crush Saga, can't forget that. And Microsoft looks like it could be ending in days. UK regulators looking like they could be giving the go ahead and going through everything. And it could just be a matter of time before Microsoft owns Overwatch, Diablo, World of Warcraft, Candy Crush Saga, Crash Bandicoot. <sighs> If they don't make a super smash bros equivalent out of all of these be- highly 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 beloved characters that is a massively missed opportunity they recently said as modern warfare 3 and diablo 4 have been released or will be releasing soon a big question was are they coming to get xbox game pass and they said they will not yet it they won't be part of xbox game pass in 2023 which by the way if you don't know is a monthly subscription where if you own an xbox a computer, or even just your phone. You can play hundreds of games over the cloud or download it locally if you have a computer or a newer Xbox console. Diablo 4 and Modern Warfare 3 are very highly anticipated, highly recognized games. Diablo 4 already released, Modern Warfare 3 releasing in days. And they won't be a part of it this year, but they hinted that older games for Activision Blizzard, so maybe, I don't know. Uh, some other games that I guess they have lying around, maybe a Crash Bandicoot game or other highly beloved titles, could be coming to Game Pass sometime in 2024. Uh, so that could be, you know, existing Call of Duty games before the upcoming Modern Warfare 3, maybe Modern Warfare 2, maybe the Black Ops games. If they all suddenly pop up on Xbox Game Pass, that could be a huge deal in and of itself. People love playing the older Call of Duty. Black Ops 2 and the original Modern Warfare games with backwards compatibility, they could easily become playable on Xbox again. Uh, part of a subscription. They're playable, I think, right now. And in July, Microsoft went out of its way to fix classic Xbox 360 Call of Duty titles just, ha- just ahead of the original deadline for the deal between Activision Blizzard and Microsoft. As players complained for years about not being able to make in those sort of games, uh, I guess on their on I guess all uh, all kinds of platforms not just the Xbox one or series consoles and they were fixed possibility that they could be put on there because whether we like it or not all of these Call of Duty games do have multiplayer ah, single player so they're not just multiplayer games where the servers shut down it's a paperweight no they have single player campaigns I've played the one for the original Modern Warfare 2 and you know what I kind of liked it but I was also uh under the legal age of being able to play and of uh being able to play it so That's cool. Um, But yeah, the deal... I mean, it could be something I talk about next week. The deal finalizing and that Microsoft will officially own some of the largest games and franchises in video game history. And that will be a genuine shakeup in the video game industry in so many ways, it will be insane. What was insane, as well as in, in an earlier episode, I talked about the big fiasco with the Unity game engine, how they were taking runtime install fees from games that were already released to upcoming ones. Uh then they backtracked a lot of that and wow, they are tripling down on backtracking because the CEO of Unity that pushed this whole thing through, uh John whew, I don't even want to try saying that. I think that might be offensive. R I C C I T I E L L O is retiring effective immediately. So he's, you know, he was the one that for the most part pushed some of these uh, structures through he's also been very financial in what he's been trying to push and he had big backlash from developers with the fee structures he will be retiring as ceo president and board chairman at the company uh, he will the company stated he will continue to advise unity to ensure a smooth transition as the uh, as they seek to find a new permanent ceo in the meantime interim ceo will be James M. Whitehurst, which is a former Red Hat and IBM executive, uh, while Rolef Botha, lead independent director of the Unity board, is now. So, yeah, so uh, Unity made, you know, made some big changes, apologized a lot. And, yeah, looks like they really screwed up and they recognize it. And that might be the end of that hopefully, and that things go back to normal. What I read for their new fee infrastructure is nowhere near as bad as it was, originally planned to be, but it's still not. And developers are still upset, but not as horrified as they originally were, so at least there's that. But obviously, you know, karma. And uh, what's not good either, we're going back to Sony, because uh, they're in a little hot water. They recently confirmed they serve a server security breach exposed employee data sony interactive entertainment has contacted 6800 current and former employees to warn that their data may have been collected by hackers great you love to see that if you work for a company and you suddenly find out uh uh-oh we got hacked that's not great I, i wouldn't know but that's not great um the uh, notice Sony sent out to current and former employees warning that their personal information may have been uh, was compromised in a system breach that happened back in May. It was sent out to 6,800 affected individuals, according to Bleeping Computer. Publication received confirmation that another breach occurred just last month. Ransomware group claimed responsibility, and it occurred via a vulnerability in the file sending it transfer platform that. Sony Interactive Entertainment was using. Uh, The creator of the It transfer progress software told its clients, including Sony, about the vulnerability at the end of May, according to the letter Sony sent. And the warning afterward, they discovered the breach, occurred three days prior that hackers were able to download data off the server. An investigation was launched as a second breach led to hackers acquiring over three gigabytes of data. That might not sound a lot to tech enthusiasts, but trust me, you know, compressed databases. As someone that works in websites, that can be very bad. Sony investigating the incident and has taken the server down. The hackers responsible have leaked files that included data from a Sonar Cube platform, certificates, and a license generator, along with Creators Cloud and more. Sony has said that the latest incident had quote no adverse impact on Sony's operations. So it kind of scared me a little bit. You know, uh, back in Twenty eleven, I think. In the early twenty tens, Sony had a massive, massive problem that that forced their PS three online service to shut down for nearly a month. They had a big welcome back uh package for gamers that were affected and everything like that. Luckily that was when the service was free. Uh and it was twelve years ago or so. Over twelve years, I think. So it was, you know, nowhere near as impactful as it would be now, where there's kind of no way around no way around it if you Play any PlayStation console nowadays, PS4, PS5, even the Vita. So, it'd be a lot worse if that happened now. I hope it never does. Uh, what I also hope I, what I also don't plan to ever play. Maybe I will. I I have no idea. Roblox, as it's now available on PlayStation, recently releasing on the MetaQuest VR headsets, including the Quest 2, Quest Pro, and the upcoming. Actually, I think it just released the Quest 3. I've not made a decision on whether or not I'll purchase that. By the way, we'll be talking a little about VR later. Uh, Roblox was announced for PS4 and PS5 last month, and it has now officially been released earlier today. And it looks like a lot of Roblox ex- Roblox experiences that were already playable will be moving over to PlayStation. So it looks like it won't be like starting fresh. Maybe even crossplay. Not sure, but it is already playable on PC, iOS, Android, and Xbox. So metaverse attempt. I think at one point. <laughs> They tried to push Metaverse with Roblox. Actually, no. They definitely did. Some companies really pushed forward. I think there was like a Wendy's experience. Like, come on. Wendy's? Ugh. Uh, and we're nearing the end of the video game section, but a little bit more. More ambitious things. This, this was something that wasn't really big news, but I had to mention it. Uh, apparently, Bob Iger, big boy CEO of Disney... His deputies are pushing him to consider a bolder transformation of Disney from gaming licensee to gaming giant. They have a big partnership in a lot of companies on making video games. Big one being Kingdom Hearts and they're more kid-friendly, Mickey Mouse-invited uh, video games that have been mainly on, I think, Nintendo platforms and maybe, I think, even Xbox Connect. They've been very family-friendly and Kingdom Hearts. But it could get worse or better. Better? I have no idea. Uh, Say an acquisition of electronic arts. Big boy makers of Mass Effect, uh, EAFC, formerly FIFA, Madden, (laughs) a lot of big games. If that was owned by Disney, that harkens back to the very small and quickly denied rumors that Disney had an interest in buying Nintendo for similar reasons. Yeah, that didn't go anywhere uh, good. Uh, Their partnership with some games continued to be impactful, however. I do hear good things about the very kid-friendly Disney Mickey Mouse-level games that do come out for Nintendo Switch and whatnot. As with everything else, uh, Bob Iger has been uh, non-committal. I know there's also been uh, reports that uh, Disney may sell their division of ABC over to another company... might have been Star or Tribune. The one that makes uh, the News Nation news channel, which caused some controversy in its own, as a news station can. Um, but that would be pretty big news, of course. And I don't know. Uh, I do not know. Definitely we'll keep up to date with that. And, of course, for the very, 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 very few uh, video game enthusiasts that for some reason play on a Mac, there's a big game that recently got a huge overhaul... I mentioned this last week, Counter-Strike 2, from originally being Counter-Strike Global Offensive, but there was a big missing thing, not just some features that were missing that uh, annoyed uh, veteran players, but you may have noticed, if you play on a Mac, that uh, Counter-Strike 2 did not move forward. (laughs) Uh, In a statement by Steam Support, they said Counter-Strike 2 represents the largest technical leap in CS history, as technology advances, we have made the difficult decision to discontinue support for older hardware, including Direct X nine and thirty two bit operating system. So if you have a, if you use a thirty two bit operating system for Windows ten for example, or Linux, or Ubuntu for example, uh, CS two is not supported. And because this replaces Counter Strike Global Offensive, that does mean no more Counter Strike until you upgrade your computer. Um, however, they also say we will no longer support Mac OS. Combined, these represented less than 1% of active CSGO players. Moving forward, Counter-Strike 2 will exclusively support 64-bit Windows and Linux, Linux, however you say it, which includes Ubuntu, a more well-known distro uh, operating system. So in the meantime, if you can't launch it with your current hardware, there is a legacy version of CSGO available uh, that will end support New Year's 2024. They said... Uh, a little bit of an FAQ was attached that if you bought what's called a Prime Status Upgrade, because I think Counter-Strike Global Offensive became free-to-play at some point, Counter-Strike 2 is also free-to-play. And if you bought that, uh, and you'll actually be able to get a refund if your purchase was made before the announcement of Counter-Strike 2's limited test back in March and the launch of Counter-Strike 2 about two weeks ago. Uh, Same applies if the majority of the time that you played between the announcement uh, in March and late September was on a Mac. You could also be eligible of a Prime status upgrade regardless of when it was purchased. Uh, Refunds are offered until December 1st. And the Legacy version, by the way, is a frozen build of CSGO, probably right before everything changed, when the Fire Nation attacked. It has all the features of CSGO except for official matchmaking. So I guess local, local play, cafes, they'll still work. I assume. And then after New Year's, the game will still be available, the Legacy version, but certain functionality that relies on compatibility with the Game Coordinator, including access to inventory, may degrade and or fail. So you'll have virtually full support for CSGO Legacy Edition if it's on a computer that doesn't support CS2 uh, for only a little bit until the end of the year, and is nearing uh, mid-October. So have fun with that. Uh, hopefully you have a better. Hopefully there's better system that you can work with, and you know installing a 64-bit OS is very easy. But if you're on a Mac, yeah, you're kind of screwed unless you get like a Windows or Linux machine, or you dual boot, boot camp, whatever it is. I don't have a Mac. Now a little bit of VR, a little interesting section on VR. According to a newsletter for Bloomberg reports that Meta is looking to beat Apple's Vision Pro with a very interesting technique. For For a while, Meta has been pushing that rather than using controllers, you should be able to just use your hands while you're in virtual reality or mixed reality. It makes it feel more immersed and less need of having technology in your hands. That's how Apple Vision Pro is going to go forward with. As far as I know, there's no controller. It's entirely hand and eye gestures. Where you look at something and it's just, you do something with your hands, hopefully something appropriate, you know, a gesture. And it just works at a cost of $3,500, something the Quest 3 is nowhere near. But it does come with controllers. And apparently, one possibility is that they're going to make a cheaper version, a cheaper meta Quest. There's a the $300 Quest 2, the $1,000 Quest Pro, and the $500 Quest 3 but they want something that's even cheaper, but just as capable, I think, of the Quest 3. And one way they're gonna do that looks to be to continue focusing more on productivity, more immersive gaming, and the possibility of sacrificing the controllers. Moving away from controller bundling, letting users, customers either use hand gestures or just buy the controllers outright. Ultimately, you know, Meta and Apple are in very different markets. Fifteen hundred, uh, The Quest Pro was originally $1,500, and even then that's under half of the Apple Vision Pro releasing early next year. Now, of course, the Apple Vision Pro is not meant to be a first, you know, for everyone mainstream device. It's meant to be put into the hands of developers and businesses so they can work on stuff so that when a more mainstream, cheaper option pops up, I don't know, I mean, 3500 bucks. what could be more cheap? What could be noticeably cheaper? 2000 1500 No clue. But that's eventual, assuming this is a success for at least developers and businesses. So, of course, that will continue to be seen, and that is why I cover VR. It's always growing. It seems like it grows constantly, even if we don't always see it. When something new or big comes through, it's big news. And that'll be it for the VR section. Now, a little bit on futurology, a end-of-podcast episode subject that I go into that explores the future that will make us, hopefully, better people or maybe just shows an insight into things that we should be fixing, working on, uh, or it'll end the human race. No big deal. So two things, and neither of them, luckily, should worry anyone yet, First, uh, an article by Inceptive Mind I found where it shows off a robotic gripper that is very lightweight, uh, made of 130 grams of material, being able to grip items weighing over 100 kilograms. It was, uh, the research team came up with an innovative way to increase loading capacity of the soft robot gripper. Instead of developing new materials, they applied a new weaving technique inspired by textiles. Uh, involves tightly intertwining individual threads to create a strong fabric that can support heavy objects. It's been used for centuries. The team used thin PET plastic to create the grippers that allowed the strips to intertwine and form a woven structure. In contrast to the 100 kilograms, conventional grippers of the same weight can lift no more than 20 kilograms, so five times improvement. The gripper can also be made of various materials, such as rubber and compounds that possess elasticity, allowing the team to customize and utilize grippers suitable for industrial or logistics sites that require strong gripping performance or various environments that need to withstand extreme conditions. Now, the team that made it, of course, uh, Dr. Song Kai-ye, Kahye of the Intelligent Robotics Research Center at the Korea Advanced Institute of Science and Technology, KIST, Collaborated with Professor Lee dae Young of the Department of Aerospace Engineering at the Korea Advanced Institute of Science and Technology. Pretty interesting stuff. Uh, It could improve logistics, hopefully in a way that doesn't uh, negatively impact people. You know, I'm not a huge fan of if robots take over. Uh, you know, I like AI, I like its capability, I don't like a lot of its behind the scenes processing, and I don't like that the possibility that it could just take over. And this, you know, helps and doesn't help, not good stuff, but also good stuff, very confusing, controversial, and everything in between. But what's not as controversial is Project Qiper, Qiper, K U I P E R, by Amazon as they, October 6th, made first contact with prototype satellites. An Atlas V rocket from the United Launch Alliance lifted off, and it carried two prototype satellites for Amazon's Project Cooper, their Low Earth, <laughs> earth, low earth Orbit LEO Satellite Broadband Initiative, something similar to uh, Starlink by SpaceX by Elon Musk. They were deployed 500 kilometers or 311 miles above Earth, launching the Protoflight mission. Good stuff. They confirmed first contact, and it's the first contact is one of several key steps in the protoflight mission, I'm allowing them to begin downlinking satellite uh, health data and establish more regular communications with the satellites. Pretty ambitious stuff. I like competition, especially when it involves, uh, you know, satellite information, internet accessibility, you know, reaching areas that need internet access more so than others. You know, if you have access to fiber, gigabit, or whatnot, 2, 5, eventually 10G, according to Xfinity, well, this is, like, not really meant for you. I get people that are in rural areas that don't have great internet access, maybe satellite already, and this will be, overall, a big benefit. I love seeing competition in this industry, in industries in general, as long as it's comfortable for people, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to see where the future holds for that. But uh, yeah, that'll be it for me. I've covered a whole lot, over an hour of some crazy stuff. I always try to make these shorter podcasts, but I think this just beat the record after I do the fine tuning I normally do with my episodes before releasing. And it is past midnight. Wow. Okay. Uh, so this will be a Wednesday, very, very early Wednesday morning episode. My apologies. And uh, yeah, that'll be it for me. Uh, Let me know all the topics you are interested in seeing. I apologize for not covering Overwatch, Collegiate, and whatnot. This was, I don't know if you can tell, but it was a little bit more of a rushed episode, as it is now midnight Wednesday. So I'm already a little bit late, as is. But uh, I will try my best to cover it in the future. I will look for topics, research uh, specifically. Maybe I'll make a dedicated mini-episode. I have no idea how that will work. And one last thing to check out. Check out the recently released website for The Fresh Wire. It is called thefreshwire.com. It has a few articles that I've written up and a link to every podcast that I've released, all in one cute little website that I continue to improve and update over time. I would appreciate anyone that checks it out. Boost those viewers up. They are rookie numbers. And... I will, of course, continue to be releasing the podcast here. I don't think I'll be releasing it through the website. You'll be able to access it through the website, but I think I'll be focusing on Spotify for the main area for these podcasts. But, of course, you can continue to be able to, to reach my episode wherever you get your podcasts from. That will not be changing anytime soon. I have no plan to. I love having as many people as possible listen to what i got to say about the tech, entertainment, video game, VR, and futurology industries. That last part's not industry. But that's besides the point. I'm going to end it here. Thank you all for tuning in, and I appreciate it as always. I will catch you all in the next one. Until then, take care of yourselves and have a gosh darn good one. Peace. Have a good day, afternoon, morning, evening, or night. Wherever you are, however you live. Treat yourself right and treat yourself proud. See you later.